Good evening and welcome to The Dark Art, horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Jake Conrad. And my name is Marin Mascaro. The Dark Art is a double bill, and on this episode we examine parallel tales of young men using phones to communicate with their friends, which would be unremarkable, except said friends have passed on to the other side. First on our call list is Mr. Harrigan's phone, a quiet tale of an unlikely bond between a modern miser and his young companion, a bond which proves unbreakable, even beyond the grave. And next, we'll connect with Black Phone, a chilling tale of a young boy held hostage by a masked serial killer who finds help from an unlikely source, the killer's previous victims. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. These two films kind of came together because of your mom. Yes, my mom, who has, as we've discussed on previous episodes, is a, is a longtime horror fan, um, avid reader of Stephen King. She suggested these films because she watched Mr. Harrigan's Phone on Netflix and she really enjoyed it and she thought that we would too. So that was my suggestion. And then you came back with The Black Phone, which, again, just the pairing, mwah, chef's kiss, just, <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, it's... It's rare to have a father and a son who are both really good writers and writers that I've read everything that both of them have written write a novella, which is Stephen King, and a short story, which the short story is like five or six pages long um, that, that Joe Hill writes, which is Stephen King's son. Um, to have them both have such a, so many similarities... And to have them both come out in movie form at roughly the same time is amazing. So we kind of have to do this, I think. I agree. And not only that, but the parallels between this story are similar enough that it's, as I said, a wonderful pairing. But they are different enough that you can tell that it's a similar thought but the way that it branches out and the, the stories take form, it really is fascinating to see. I really liked both of these movies, and I thought that they were excellent takes on a very similar theme. Well, let's break into Mr. Harrigan's phone, then. Wonderful. I will read the synopsis. Craig. A young boy living in a small town befriends older, reclusive billionaire Mr. Harrigan. The two bond over books, and later an iPhone. But when Mr. Harrigan dies, Craig discovers that not everything dead is gone. The teen finds himself able to communicate with his deceased friend beyond the grave via the iPhone that belonged to Mr. Harrigan in life, resulting in consequences that Craig could not have imagined. So, there's uh, a couple fun things going on with the uh, actors and the director of this movie. The director of this movie, I don't think, has really done any any horror in the past. And I think, for that reason, was a good choice for this. Um, the director, I'm going to need to look up his name. Uh, John, John Lee. John Lee Hancock. <laughs> yeah, he directed... The only movies that I've seen of his are The Rookie and The Blind Side. Neither of those are scary, I would say. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> no, no. Sports-themed... Really uplifting. <laughs> right. Like, it seems like, at first glance, this is the wrong person for a Stephen King novella. But I think the story itself fits the director um, really well. Is that how you felt about it? I did. I thought that this was actually, even though it was a scary story... It was a ghost story. But I think at its heart, this was a story about love. This was a story about friendship and a bond that can't be broken. Which is similar themes explored in the other movies that he's had. You know, like in The Blind Side, 
creating your own family, coming together, finding ground, and building a bond that lasts a lifetime. You know, yeah. I really think that at its heart, this, this was a beautiful story about friendship. Well, the same Stephen King that wrote um, Pet Cemetery wrote Shawshank Redemption and Hearts in Atlantis and The Body, which uh, Stand By Me was based on. So, I mean, he and even parts of It, one of the reasons why It works so well is there's a friendship and a, and a, a joy and an innocence that comes from um, relationships. And the only reason he can scare the hell out of us is that he's so good at creating realistic relationships and feelings and inner thoughts of real people that so when something does happen it's really really upsetting we we identify and we get pulled in and i think this one is is no exception i agree i thought this one it was beautifully acted you know, Donald Sutherland plays Mr. Harrigan, and Donald Sutherland is one of those actors to me. He's a guy you can trust. He chooses solid projects. You know that if Donald Sutherland is, a, is in a movie, it's probably going to be pretty good. Even movies that were at the time considered to be not so good held up over the course of time, like the movie version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, as a kid, I loved, and I remembered people telling me that it was a bad movie, and yet it's still in the cultural discussion all these years later. So, <laughs> Donald forced, Sutherland's a guy you can trust. <laughs> I forced my kids to watch the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer this year, and it, it had mixed reviews, I'll be honest, but... I made him watch it. My job is done. <laughs> Aw, I love Buffy. I Somewhere too. out there in the ether, there was a photo of me at 13 years old standing next to the Buffy cheerleading outfit in Planet Hollywood. It's out there. I don't know where, but it's there. <laughs> Did you have a side ponytail to go with it or and, and leg warmers? No, but my hair might have been cramped. It might have been. <laughs> so this movie, um, the the young man in it, Craig, who's played by Jaden Martell. Jaden Martell's been in a lot of movies for as young as he is, and he's kind of killed it in every movie. You've got the connection to Stephen King playing the main character or one of the main characters in It, Bill uh, Denbro from... from the movie version of it one and two which i thought um this young man did awesome in but if you go back i love the movie saint vincent with bill murray he's in that there's a horror movie called the lodge that he does well in there's a movie midnight special it's kind of a sci-fi as a young really young kid really well in it and i just read that they're remaking the lost boys that we covered last time and he's going to be in that uh, with a starring role so I, this this kid's got some pretty good acting. I, I felt like his acting actually saved or made this movie what it was more than anyone. I agree. He was great. I really enjoyed... I mean, he brought, he brought a lot of heart to this part. As Wow, that rhyme was terrible. Anyway, but he, re, he really did do a great job. I felt I was able to go on a journey with him. I was able to feel things as he was feeling them. I mean, his feelings about his mother, about his teacher who was so kind to him, about Mr. Harrigan, his relationship with his dad. I mean, everything that he was showing us was something that's very relatable. I was almost able to get past the part that, the part that he looks almost exactly like Rory Gilmore, just the male version. <laughs> I mean um, yeah I know who you're talking about <laughs> yes, yeah, I was watching right. this movie with someone else and they pointed that out to me and I couldn't unsee it I couldn't unsee it the whole movie and I just kept having the you know a very infamous line from Gilmore Girls going through my head why did you drop out of Yale the whole time I'm like stop it stop it stop it just focus 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 well, on Craig. <laughs> in this movie, he could have afforded he could afford to go to Yale um, after. So a, a little bit of background in the show: um, young man, like you described, ends up getting a 
gig to read for a reclusive, very wealthy Donald Sutherland. And this house he's in is amazing and imposing. But as even a, a young boy, he comes in and starts reading. He's obviously reading past his, his age, uh, his reading level. And he starts reading to this old man who I, I guess is having a harder time reading himself. And, and then this friendship and this the time passes and he does this for, he's paid, but it's like a pittance, I think. And he's, he, but I think it's around the same time this, this young man loses his mother who passes away. And it's like, it fills, that fills that gap for him. And he now has this connection, um, which I love the books that he chose to read. Um, in the, the novella, I think they go more, into more detail the interesting thing being a longer short story, you actually kind of feel that aging a little bit more than you do in the movie. Um, it, it, it takes, it doesn't, it's not in a hurry to, to get where it's going in the novella. And I think some people, I, I read some criticism in the movie that is like, it took a while to get anywhere into the supernatural. But I don't mind that, you know. I, I've never minded that in a movie. I, I kind of enjoy the ride. I mean, I some movies are fun to be action-packed and, and jump scares everywhere, but this one from the start was never going to be that. So I was okay. I kind of chilled out and enjoyed it. I agree. Um, this seemed to me like it was almost a movie from a different time. There was a feeling about it that seemed like it was a movie that had been made in a different era it was a very it was a very quiet a very steady movie it wasn't as you said it's not what people would normally associate with horror there were no there weren't jump scares or anything like that it wasn't even rated r which other than gremlins is the only other movie that we've talked about that isn't so that was something that was interesting about this but as you said I didn't mind that it took a while to get to the supernatural part because, of course, obviously that means we get more Donald Sutherland. We get more backstory on Mr. Harrigan. What was interesting is how other people seem to be a little hesitant to talk to Craig about Mr. Harrigan and what he was like before Craig knew him. Obviously, he was a very ruthless businessman. He wasn't well-liked. His opinions on people were pretty harsh. I mean, part of the the really affecting lines in this movie was Mr. Harrigan talking about how you need to dispatch people who cross you. Yeah. And that's really the first time that we see Mr. Harrigan as something other than a crotchety old man as somebody who actually could be sinister. Well, and as well as they did that, the obviously, you know, the book's always going to have more time to to develop that character and to foreshadow and to give hints of that. And I, but still, I think they they showed that um, Don, Donald Sutherland's acting showed that just fine. He's got some bite to him. Oh yeah, and. I thought that as their relationship unfolded, it, it almost seemed like Craig was just determined that Mr. Harrigan was going to like him no matter what. And eventually Mr. Harrigan just kind of fell in line and they developed that bond. And, you know, they had the, the little rituals that were just for them, like, you know, the giving of the scratch-off lottery ticket every year for Christmas, which Craig finally did win. I thought of him as I was looking at my own Powerball ticket last night. I'm like, damn, man. <laughs> I'd love to win the lottery like Craig, even if it was only three grand. Would you have bought an iPhone for but, somebody else with it? You know, I would like to say that I would have bought an iPhone for somebody else with it, but you know what? Probably, Probably not. not. I would buy something nice for my daughter. I'd probably buy, I'd honestly, if I won $3,000 now, I'd probably use it to buy Christmas gifts for my friends and family. That's what I'd use it on. Well, that's but none cool. of them would be getting an iPhone. <laughs> They're too expensive these days. So, oh, yeah. Well, if you won $3,000 right now, what would you spend it on? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, probably movies. I've been, 
I'm so old school. I keep buying 4K Blu-rays, um, and my collection is getting ridiculous and stupid. So I I really don't have anything good to buy with it. You're right. I should give it to somebody else. Um, but the, so this movie starts out as this feel-good, this kid is doing a, a service for an old man who has, and there's some redemption going on because the old man's, probably not been very nice to people and maybe he's starting to be now and then i love that it then changes into what i would call a uh, tales from the crypt old school tales from the crypt from the 50s story which is if you have an opportunity to rub a lamp a genie comes out and you can make a wish what do you wish for and i think that in most of the tales from the crypt movies it always ends with the the genie coming back for the person and hurting them. And in this movie, um, it starts out that way. It looks like it's going that way. It doesn't... So, so basically, um, to get into the phone part, because the phone is an important uh, connection between these two movies, as well as the Stephen King and, and Joe Hill being father and son... Um, he wins he, he wins the scratch off and gets three thousand dollars and part of the money he uses to buy uh mr harrigan a cell phone an iphone four i think uh or three or i don't know which one an older one yeah very and, early model yeah yeah and i remember in the book thinking that it was stephen king i think did jump into technology and and jumped on twitter and has been part of the cell phone world, you know, I, considering his age, I think he jumped right into that. And I think, so when he was explaining uh, Mr. Harrigan being taught how to use this, it made me laugh a little thinking that somebody, probably one of his sons, had to walk Stephen King through this. And I've done that many times with um, older folks that I work with, trying to show them the technology, and they, they're cussing and angry and and it's it can be a, a trying thing, and, and I think they showed that really well with Donald Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> so they did. <laughs> and I like I like how into it he got too once he once he latched on to how it worked, because I because it seemed like it took a long time, but once he realized all the things that this phone could do for him, he was hooked. And I think that yeah, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen quite a few times. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to make my life easier? Okay. Yeah, my favorite is well, there's a couple of older folks at, at work that was that fought against a, a smartphone, and now they're people that I talk to because they read a lot, and now they, do, they use Audible um, and listen to book after book after book, and we always talk about the different books we're reading, and I'm thinking, you were so upset about this iPhone, and now you're, it's, you'd, you wouldn't be able to live without it. Not just because of the phone and the camera, but because you're addicted to audiobooks, and it's the best way to listen to them. <laughs> I do audiobooks, too, because of my, uh, my disability that we talked about in our found footage episode. Yeah. You know, when, when words float on pages, if you can listen instead... You know, what a treat. So, yeah, I also would be, you know, I, I'm locked. I'm in for life until they come up with something better. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it. So so then, you know, um, right when we see a little bit of redemption with Mr. Harrigan, who we know has been kind of a, a ruthless um, guy, he passes away. He dies. And sadly, um, Craig is the one to find him and uh the 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 interesting and weird part of this is that craig decides to at the funeral <laughs> wait till everybody's left and he puts the phone in in mr harrigan's pocket which is can you think of a good reason for that um i guess just kind of a uh, so long, buddy. Something to remember me by. <laughs> well, I do, the reason I say that is I think that a lot of times people keep things to remember people by. And I don't know. 
I thought that was interesting, at least. It is interesting. I don't know. I've I've heard of people, you know, putting little tokens of their esteem into coffins and things like that just so they can, they feel, you know, I guess it kind of harkens back to the old, like, putting the coins on the eyes yeah. in ancient times, so, you know, to, to go across the river Styx. It's just something to guide you through on those first steps into the afterlife. I think that's part of, like, maybe where it comes from, you know, that long-held belief that, you know, maybe you can take something with you. Well, and it's probably more like the old custom of people being worried about burying people alive, which happened more frequently, where they would actually rig up a bell so that they, some the person being buried could pull the string and ring the bell and people could come and get them out of the coffin. I guess the iPhone is much closer to that than anything. And But either way, we wouldn't have the rest of the, the movie or the story if he didn't have the iPhone put into his pocket. So. Well, you know, since we're talking about this, and I had completely forgotten about this, but when I was in college, I had a friend who told me that when he was a young boy, his best friend who lived on the same street as him moved away and they had walkie-talkies to communicate. And his friend went to give him back the walkie-talkie on the day that he moved, and he told him to keep it. Which, again, is ridiculous, because obviously once you go past a certain range, it's not going to work yeah. anymore. But it's just kind of like the preservation of that ritual. Like, I feel better knowing you have that. Yeah. Even though cute. I know it's not going to work. That works. So then we get into the, finally into the supernatural part of this movie, which is... Um, that Mr. Harrigan is able to, they're, they're able to communicate to some degree. Um, when the chips are down and life gets hard and things happen, then Craig reaches out and makes a phone call to Mr. Harrigan and, and asks for help, basically. Um, knowing that he's not, he's not alive, he's, he's gone, he, they had an autopsy, he's definitely passed. And um, ends up getting, it's almost like I said, rubbing a, a lamp and having the genie grant a wish for him. Yes, well, so his tormentor, Kenny Yankovich, who was the reason that Craig reached out and called Mr. Harrigan, I tell you, as far as like, high school bullies go in movies, that one was about as close to the nail on the head as I have ever seen. That kid was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, because he, he was in pain, and he was, I've seen that so many times. He, he actually, he, he wasn't just this one-dimensional bully. He was a messed up kid that had a lot of pain and was taking it out on other people. And I've had that feeling before, um, being on the other end of this, um, where somebody singled me out the first day of school and basically uh, knocked me down, kicked dirt all over me, and, and bloodied my nose. That was my first day at Wendover in Wendover at school. And it wasn't fun. And I, I'm like, why? Like, what did I... I didn't do anything. I didn't... I, I just was excited to try it, you know, as a new school, uh, my first day there, and that happened. And I remember learning, uh, there wasn't much to learn other than, wow, sometimes you just get picked out of the, out of the line and, and it's your number, which I think was another part of, of the, the second movie that we that we're going to talk about it, that I, I felt that there, the parallels right there of bullying um, we're going to see in, in Black Phone as well, which I thought was, there's handled, it was handled very uh, realistically. Yes, I agree. But, so, Craig calls Mr. Harrigan just as a way to comfort himself, to talk about Kenny and his bullying, and then Kenny ends up dead. Found in the same twisted position that Craig was in after Kenny beat him up at the dance. So, I mean, at this point, it's since that's the first instance, if 
if we hadn't seen Kenny's body and the way it was positioned and also that he had the shoe polish stuffed in his mouth, because, as you know, there, that harkened back to yet another, you know, discussion between, between Kenny and Craig, but... If we didn't know that, if if they hadn't shown us Candy's body, that could have just easily been a coincidence. Yep. So, and still, even then, I'm like, well, but, nah. Mr. I mean, Mr. Harrigan couldn't do anything. He's dead. But then, you know, we get the text. So, I think it's really interesting how, you know, Everything that happened in this movie could be written off as a coincidence. And the only person who knows that it's happening and that it's Mr. Harrigan is Craig. So, of course, like, what is he going to do? Who's he going to talk to about this? I mean, if he talked to anybody about it, they would think he was absolutely nuts. Right. Like. (laughs) He has to sit with it and live with it and deal with it. But he's not a bad kid. It's not like he he had a list and he's like, okay go after the principal and and you know go after the senator i don't like and go after i mean he he basically oh you mean like how light did in death note where (laughs) he found out that he could do that and then started going after the entire world that kid turned evil way too fast it was way too fast right no yeah craig was a good boy he was a he was a good kid so he didn't use that power that he didn't know for sure was even real until later, the the second time he used the death note or the death text was with a drunk driver who killed his favorite teacher that had comforted him throughout the bullying and had encouraged him and and helped him along, and it was really a pleasurable a pleasure of a character in the in both the book and the and the movie and and it's just a tragedy and you know at that point which way we're going and it's usually that feeling of uh uh-oh this is where normally in a tales from the crypt short short um comic this is when the the main character is going to end up getting a comeuppance and Mm -hmm. uh i mean other than the guilt and the the fear and the shame and of of finding out that that the supernatural force mr harrigan is straight up murdering people for him um he doesn't really end up with with too much of a comeuppance here and that's that's interesting he for stephen king and for horror movies in general but one thing that i thought was very interesting so after miss miss hart had been killed and craig attended her funeral he went you know, back home, and he reached up into his closet to grab the cigar box where he was keeping the phone, and when he pulled it down, what happened? The flower crown that his mom had put on him and he had kept, you know, hooked onto his wrist. And I took that to mean that his mom was trying to stop him. Yeah, I did too. And he still went through with it, and it was after that, I mean... I really liked that once Craig figured out that this is real, that it is a power that he has, that he felt so incredibly guilty about it and actively chose never to do it again. Right, and that's why it became... Because like I said, Craig's a good boy. Yeah, it's, that's why this movie was um, fit, fits in with the blind side and the rookie a little bit more, where yeah. it doesn't have to end with the traditional comeuppance because he stopped. And, and that's, and in some ways, I think horror, uh, people who love horror were left feeling a little bit unsatisfied, I think, or dissatisfied by this. Yeah. And, uh, I, I didn't, I'd read the, the novella and enjoyed it and I love the sweetness to it. Cause you know, I, I do think that just because a horror trope exists doesn't mean we have to always do it. And sometimes the more realistic route that makes something feel more realistic is that people are normally pretty good and and they don't just start death noting people over and over and over. I mean, especially when they've had the good fortune after having their mother pass at a young age of making a, a very valuable friendship 
I mean, he was given $800,000. I think the kid's going to, uh, has a bright future ahead of him. He doesn't have to kill to get it. That's the other thing here. I think he'll be all right, so. I guess that's why I I thought that, yeah, this was a movie from a different time. Because it was a ghost story, but in the end, it was almost a happy haunting. Yeah. I mean, the last text that Mr. Harrigan sent him was Craig, stop. Yes. It was a message from beyond the grave saying, I love you, I will do these things for you, but I don't think you should. Right. But it also shows and a I like that there was that for Mr. Yeah. Harrigan, because if he was as bloodthirsty as he had been in life, you know, prior to being an old man, he probably wouldn't have told him to stop. Because that's how he got where he was, to some degree. And so. that's and he kept coaching, you know, he was kind of nudging Craig in that direction in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, but yeah. I don't think he really wanted Craig to do those things. Yeah. I think he, he cared about Craig, and he wanted to preserve him the way that he was. I don't think Mr. Harrigan had any qualms about it, but I think that... No. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a fun part of the story, really. I, I thought that the the death scenes were really tame um except the arms behind the back kind of thing that was a little bit grody but uh yeah this was probably one of the quieter horror movies we've thought to talk about and i but i liked it um i would definitely recommend it for for people who you know most of the time we're watching things like evil dead and it's out there and you have to really love horror to enjoy it in this case i think some i think somebody might be a little more triggered by black phone for sure but the but this movie i think most people could watch and enjoy it and i think it's a good even people who say i don't like stephen king i don't like horror they would still like this show i believe oh yeah i i would recommend this i've got several friends who refer to themselves as scaredy cats and they don't want to watch horror movies and i think that this would be a nice you know October film for them, kind of get into the season, but you know, you don't have to go too far into it. And plus, you know, there there are other things that you can look at in this movie too that are really cool. Like there's a lot of symbolism. Like with the flowers. You know, Craig's mom, she's the daisy. Mr. Harrigan, he's the orchid. So those things are present when those spiritual presences are around Craig, and you can pick it up. And also, while we're talking about symbolism, when Craig goes to the site of Mr. Harrigan's ex-employee, who is also now dead, and there is spray painted on the wall "F U H," and the you know the creepy woman comes up, she goes, "Nobody knows what it means." I'm like, "Do you really not know what it means?" It's pretty obvious, I think. Yeah, that was funny. That was a good comic relief moment. I I had to snicker. I'm like, "Really? You don't know what that means, huh?" Um, yeah. Well, let's let's start talking about Black Phone because I know we need to talk about the parallels and uh, between these two shows quite a bit. Um, let me read the uh, let me give the synopsis of the Black Phone. Um, so it came out in 2021. After being abducted by child killer the Grabber and locked in a soundproof basement. 13-year-old Finney begins to receive phone calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. With each call comes a new tip from the deceased boys to help Finney move closer to outsmarting the grabber and making an escape. I loved this movie to death. I absolutely loved every part of this movie. And I, when I, I was excited when I first saw the trailer. And it, they kind of... They kind of were mean about it because they played the trailer and I think nobody really knew they didn't think anyone knew who Joe Hill was and I think that they weren't expecting much out of the trailer but it got such response that instead of playing it when they were going to they decided to wait until summer because it had created the trailer created so much buzz so when I first saw the first five seconds of this trailer I knew what it was, and I mean, it's pretty much the first thing that Joe Hill has ever written. One of the, the, I think, ten short stories that he put out first, and that I read right when it came out, 
and was so excited about. So I was like, all right. And then I was tortured having to wait and wait for this to come out. Um, but then when I, I started learning more about it, the, uh, who directed it, who was going to be in it, and what period of time it was going to be take place in, I was dying a little bit. I was so excited. So um, basically, one of the, I think, I won't say the scariest movie, because everyone asks me, what's the scariest movie? But this, the movie that people, I guess they've done some tests where they put probes up people's ass or something and in their eyes and they do the whole <laughs> clockwork orange and then they show them movies. The one that just keeps on scaring people worse than anything is Sinister. And I would agree that it is a terrifying movie from start to finish. It's relentless. It is dark, evil. It, you just feel complete fear watching this movie and the director um, I think his name's Derrickson, Scott Derrickson he directed this and Ethan Hawke's in Sinister, so like I was so there when when I heard that he was going to be doing this and honestly it held up to all my expectations, I, you can see I'm a little excited about this, I'm going to take a breath and let you talk, I'm sorry Okay, well, you know what? This is actually a great uh, intro for me because this is me getting excited, but in a different kind of way. Here we go on Marin Celebrity Beef's round two. Ethan Hawke. I have avoided this guy for years. I hate this guy. I I have been... He's been on my shit list for a long time. And the reason is... Okay, so I'm a huge fan of Uma Thurman. I'm an Uma Thurman fangirl. I love her. If she's in something, I'll go see it. I am a, I'm a huge fan of Uma Thurman. So, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke were married for seven years. Back in the late 90s. Uh, well, mid to late 90s, early 2000 time frame. And um, they had two kids, Maya Hawk, who you might know from Stranger Things and also a variety of other Netflix projects or maybe her singing career, and also um, a younger boy. But Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman got divorced because he was doing the cliche of all cliches, banging the nanny. So... That doesn't sit right with me, and that doesn't sit right with me for any celebrity guy who does that. You know, Ben Affleck, Jude Law, Gavin Rossdale, yeah, fuck y'all. Stop banging the nanny. Maybe Ollie Wong was on to something when she said you should only hire nannies who are 65 years old and up. <laughs> but she's getting divorced too, so whatever. I don't know, but anyway, so yeah, Ethan Hawke, been on my shit list for a long time. Well, can I, 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 I have to ask you something because uh, if you, if I I hate to quote, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but I'm a little bit worried you might have mad beef with too many people. I I, I don't know if you should try to you know clean the if slate, I need to squash these squash beefs, the yeah. beefs, but I'm a little worried about the future of this podcast because yeah. we haven't really done that many episodes, but. That being said, can, is it possible? Can you do a? But a, here's the, but here's the thing. As I said with Anthony Hopkins last time, <laughs> yeah, I hate the guy, but I respect his work. I can still recognize that he's a good actor. I know what a good performance looks like, and as much as I am loath to admit it, the dude's got it. And now right. with Ethan Hawke in this movie, same. <laughs> well, let me was, just try try just a mental <laughs> trick where you. Instead of Ethan Hawke, just picture Skeet Ulrich and and hate him, okay? Because at one point they were almost <laughs> interchangeable, and then they weren't, okay? So go back and just see if you can do that. I don't know. But then again, I think most of Hollywood is pretty much disgusting, and I don't... I Yeah, we've had this yeah. conversation. I just like the movie and that's it but anyway i i, I still watch but, all of polanski's movies and i guess people would say i'm a bad person for that but they're good movies so i don't know what to say you I, know this was a good movie too and ethan Hawke was his performance was spectacular in it and i think the fact that i dislike him really enhanced my viewing of this movie <laughs> because he was the grabber sorry spoiler alert he was the grabber and <laughs> 
<laughs> me hating him really enhanced my viewing experience because, man, I, I'm like, you have got to get away from him, Finny. I am rooting for you. I am with the other victims. If there is a way I can call you and help you get past this asshole, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, Stephen King, I've read his, his book since I was old enough to read. And, it, you know, there were times that it, there, there's times that it's hard to read Stephen King and, and relate because he's so much older. And so as he's writing, um, he's writing about different time periods and different ways of, of speaking and different phrases. I've learned most of it from his writing, um, not from from real life, you know, and and. So to have Joe Hill come out, and it took me a, a second to realize that he was Stephen King's son. I think he, at first, kind of wanted that to... I, I mean, it was easy to... The internet, you, you can't really hide anything, but I think it, he tried to branch out on his own a little bit, and he wrote an amazing um, graphic novel called Lock and Key, which they've done a kind of a cruddy Netflix version of it with a couple seasons, but the graphic novel's awesome. So I read that and then I realized I found who he was and I was really excited when he started writing novels. I've read all of his stuff, but the cool thing about Joe Hill is he's pretty much my age. He's two years older than I am. And so, um, and then Scott Derrickson is, I think he's, he's older than, than Joe Hill and I, but not by a ton, maybe four or five years. So to set this time in a time period when I grew up and when they grew up, when, I mean, I remember being a little kid and I don't remember it, but I have pictures of where all the kids had like their name written on their t-shirt for, for like a decade. I don't know if it was before your time, but it was like hip to have every, the kids' names written on there. And then suddenly you know, people are like, oh, wait, now kidnappers can come up and go, hey, little Jake, uh, do you want to come with me? Your mom. <laughs> and so then they're like, stranger danger came out, and it was during that time. So I have pictures of me and my cousin and my uncle and aunt, who were just a little older, all with our names on our shirts. We're like at a carnival. I totally could have been grabbed by the grabber easily back then. But it was a different time, and it was a different time. They show this really well in the movie. I mean, you unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it that different time you know is kids have to grow up a lot had to grow up a lot quicker back then i think and it's really shown in this movie where uh, and i think one of the parallels is that the, at least the kids in this movie they really can't trust anyone they can't they can only trust in each other um and that's why the salvation of finney later comes in the form of kids his own age basically it doesn't come from any other adult and i think that's like the scary one of the scariest messages of this movie but it kind of rings true i remember like like i, I described to you my first day at in at wendover west wendover elementary getting thrown down and i it was my fault i shouldn't have worn white pants i guess i i didn't know there was a faux pas i don't know if it was before or after labor day or whatever but i got thrown down and and blood all over my shirt and i don't i don't remember any my parents saying anything about it maybe i didn't tell them you know but i, I knew right away i wasn't going to go to the teacher and i wasn't going to tell anybody because then you get it worse so i think that time period it's it's it was a different time where it was not rare to end up having to have a fist fight and we saw plenty of them in our school Oh, yeah. Well, and yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because the entire movie, everybody who's looking out for everybody else is a kid looking out for another kid. We see that right at the beginning with Robin, you know, helping out Finney and beating people up on his behalf. And, you yep. know, Finney and Gwen sticking together, looking out for each other, the brother and sister. You know, all the kids just kind of, you know... You know, Gwen getting in trouble because she told uh, Bruce's sister about her dream and how she thought that she knew what happened to Bruce because, you know, she has those psychic abilities, although nobody really believes her. 
Although yet it was still credible enough to have police detectives come talk to her. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, and uh, I did. I liked. I liked the kid camaraderie here. I did too. I, that and was I felt like it really... was real. You know. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Jeremy Davies. I mean, he's kind of a despicable father to these poor kids after they've lost their mother. But I love him as Yet a character another parallel. actor. Yep, <laughs> another parallel to this movie and the other. And again, I mean, how many Stephen King movies and books have a clairvoyant child that knows more than the rest of the characters? I mean, what, 80% of his books? <laughs> I mean, whether you can start <laughs> that's, a fire that's or fair you, estimate. you've yeah. got the shine or whatever it is, to have um, mm-hmm. Joe Hill put that in there was really fun. Um, it, actually, I don't remember that being in that five-page short story. I think that it was added, but it was consistent, and it worked really well with who Joe is and and his connection to Stephen King. I thought it was fun. Anyway. Well, I thought it was interesting that, you know, when Finney does get kidnapped and he ends up in the basement and he starts receiving the phone calls from the other victims... Well, at the same time, while that supernatural force is working for him, we have the other side of the coin, the supernatural force with Gwen, where she is working to kind of try to, you know, trigger her visions so she can try to find him. So we've got two different supernatural forces at work that are coming together to try to locate Finney and the one that know, the forces that know where he is try to help him out. And like it, where the kids can't count on any adults, they they have to work together. And 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 uh, I think um, the grabber himself. I know that you you already ha- are upset with with Ethan Hawke. I think that they did a great job with the grabber as a character because number one. Um, I would never trust anyone that said they were a part-time clown, mime, or magician. I'm just going to say that right now. I apologize. I don't even apologize. If you tell me you're a part-time clown, mime, or magician, I, I, I got nothing to say. I, I really don't. I, yeah. I don't. Tr- I don't trust you. Um, I wouldn't, you know, buy a car for me for sure. So. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And. One thing that I thought was so interesting about the Grabber, and I really liked this, is the way that they had the t- the mask that collapsed. So there's like bottom parts and top parts to the mask and yeah. how he combined the pieces to show different facial expressions, to show how he was feeling towards Finney on certain days. I thought that was so interesting because that's something that, you know, we always joke about with other horror movies like, oh... We got Jason. We got Michael Myers. We don't know what this guy's thinking. But with the Grabber, we do. Because he chooses the facial expression to show us. And sometimes he shows us the top half of his face. Sometimes he shows us the bottom half of his face. We don't ever get it all at once. But he wants us to know what he's thinking to a certain extent. He wants us to know that he's mad at Finney. He wants us to know that today might be a good day. He wants us to know... That, you know, oh, I've got my big smile on. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? You know? Well, and I I think the script called for just a leather mask. And I had read that Scott Derrickson spent a whole lot of time and actually got the help of uh, Tom Savini, who's done prosthetics and makeup for horror movies since we were born. And, And the two of them collaborated to make the mask more of a part of the character. Because, I mean... And Ethan Hawke, um, he really showed a lot of, he emoted quite well with a mask on his face. I mean, that's hard to do, I would think, where you're just using your eyes and your body language uh, to to show who you are or show what you're thinking. So that part was good. And The Grabber, obviously, is based on um, a bunch of different serial killers. I, that, that They use those same techniques, too. I mean, same that we saw in Silence of the Lambs, the Buffalo Bill used uh can you help me get this couch in my van i've got a a broken arm um and and that actually was pretty much done (laughs) ted bundy yeah ted bundy um that was pretty much word for word from the short story so that was kind of fun um 
Well, like you said, I felt one thing, another thing that I found really impressive about Ethan Hawke's performance was even when he was in full mask, he used like shoulder positioning and posture, different ways of holding his body to show different intent, which again, I don't like the guy. He's really, it's really impressive though. And I can't say that it's not. Well, and he, I think he bulked up quite a bit. He's always been a pretty lean guy, but in this, he looks like he put on muscle and weight. And, and I think that was effective to be more, you know, daunting against this kid. And, and so, I mean, spoiler alert, the, the black phone that we hear about, it's not a magic iPhone that, that you can rub like a, a genie in a lamp, but it, it is a conduit to the, the victims of this grabber who everything the grabber tells Finney is you're, you're going to be okay. I'm going to let you go. It's not going to, you know, I think at one point he says something super creepy about like, I'm not going to do anything you won't want me to do or something. But other than that, everything yeah. he's telling him is like, this is all going to be okay. And which is just, terrible but um the truth is he's murdered many people and the kid knows that he knows that that the kids that the other kids were missing and so um joe hill when he talked about where this idea came from he, i guess he moved into a home they moved into a home and there was a payphone in the basement and it didn't work it wasn't hooked up but he it freaked him out because he he just always thought what would happen if i was alone and that phone rang and i would say yeah that's pretty weird to have like a like a a phone down in a basement not next to anything you know so that i mean that came from i guess his real life and i thought was smart so this phone rings and instead of i mean i guess it is scary because these are formerly you know, the former victims, and they sh and this is where the rated R comes in the most. I think you see these kids who have been murdered and kind of how they've been murdered, but again, they're trying to help him, and they they tell him, you know, to this is what you need to do, and they give him suggestions, which in the end of the movie, Finney uses I think every suggestion to some degree to be able to to escape um, his his captor. Yes, he does. He uses them all. I mean, it, and it all, the way it all falls, to, you know, it's like the domino effect. Every single suggestion stacked on top of each other to make the entire escape plan. But one thing that I really liked about the phone calls was that even the kids that he didn't know well, and even the kid who was, like, you know, antagonistic and was always in trouble. He got in trouble with the cops before he was, before he was, you know, kidnapped by the grabber, all of that. He had an attitude, but he still wanted Finney to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, to quote Tenacious D, that's fucking teamwork. <laughs> I really appreciated that. <laughs> well, and it, you're right, it pieces together where... If one one thing hadn't worked correctly, it would be a whole different ending. And so, it this one definitely you're you're feeling on the seat of your you're on the edge of your seat through most of this movie. I think it's really effective, um, scary, um, but also it, there's a feeling like some of the older like E.T. and Stranger Things that Stranger Things has really done a great job of making you nostalgic and care about that feeling of being a kid and and caring about other kids uh, your friends i think it nails it and and does a great job of because here you feel you actually see still a camaraderie between these ghost kids i think they put him down and they call him names and they say you know um you know, quit crying and, and you got to do this and you got to do that. If you want to live, you got to do this. Um, especially his friend Robin, um, who had, had, you see him earlier in the movie helping him. So, you know, there were even some suggestions like after he got the phone call, the suggestion about the freezer. I thought to myself, like, how is that going to help? He's not going to be able to get out of the freezer from the inside. Oh, as it turns out, 
we have the freezer to get the steak to distract the dog. I mean, it all just fits together so beautifully. The way that Finny actually basically just gathers every bit of chutzpah he possibly can and actually fights the grabber to the death. Man, that was impressive. I mean, I, I really liked Finny as a main character. He was a great kid to root for. I mean, he was he was smart. He was resourceful. He was, you know, coachable, which, you know, also is great. But when his final showdown with the Grabber was just so satisfying, especially yeah. when he, you know, just did that final pull and snapped the neck. I mean, bravo. I think I stood up and clapped. No, it's, it's definitely one that gets your adrenaline going and you, you kind of give a cheer for her. Um, I, I, again, my favorite, one of my favorite things about it is just the vibe and the feeling. And I feel like some of those houses just remind me of my old house. Like the one we had in, in Boise when I was up till I was five years old. And then even the house in Twin Falls that I had till, um, till we left Twin Falls for Wendover when I was. Uh, I, I finished the fourth grade in Twin Falls, so it's just the the clothes, the the playing the pinball, um, the the feeling of freedom. I think that I, I we my, Jana and I try have tried to have our kids have that to some degree. Um, we we were lucky enough that we grew up, that we let them grow up for most of their lives outside of the city and where they could run and play and get into trouble and go swimming and in a in a lake a gross lake next to where we lived and uh go shoot bb guns and ride bikes and and it was something that i didn't think that we'd be able to give them anymore and it was kind of lucky we did but um i had that growing up i had that where uh, my mom you know in the summertime we we weren't allowed in the house because my mom's a bit of a neat freak i don't know if you knew that but uh we weren't allowed in the house if we had grass on our feet you know so we'd have to the grass the you'd have to dry your feet completely to be able to come in the house well that was never going to happen because we're always doing something we're running around playing in the sprinklers and so summertime for us was we we pretty much lived in our swimsuit and we played outside uh, Jenny and I, and I'm sure my mom peeked in on us and we'd show up for lunch or she'd put sandwiches out on the back porch. But I remember, you know, getting up in the morning, watching cartoons and then being outside until it was dinner time, and then going back out. And, and I think that, you know, before technology, some of the technology and iPhones, that's, it was a, in some ways a simpler time and a a time that they captured really well in the show. It made me feel nostalgic throughout the whole thing, in spite of the the rest of the murdering and, and, and terrible things going on. Me too. And, you know, even though the neighborhood that they showed wasn't... Uh, it, it didn't mirror any neighborhood that I grew up in. It just had that feel of, like, any town USA. Like, it felt familiar, even if you've never been in an area like that. And like you said, it just ca it just captured that time so well. It was it was just really well done. I, I really like this movie. So if you like this one, um, I know that Scott Derrickson in an interview said he channeled one of a, a movie I really really like called uh, The Devil's Backbone, and it's a Guillermo del Toro movie that's all in Spanish. That it, when you watch it, when and if you watch it you'll see the parallels in it um, of kids helping kids and supernatural. It's interesting. It's, it's more in between Mr. Harrigan's phone and, and this movie where there's scares and there's some tension, but it's not ratcheted up to the level of it, it's, it's more in the middle of these two. And it's, it's really satisfying, really stylistic and one of Guillermo's first movies. And so if you like his stuff and if you like the kind of the moody um, 
slow-paced feel that's a great one and didn't surprise me when scott derrickson said that he he channeled that movie with this movie but i so some of the similarities with this we've already covered i think we have um, the phone is is a connection to the supernatural um in one the phone is saving and also cursing um craig in the other it's saving finney finney but um, it's cursing the grabber because they all all the you know the victim yeah. said that the grabber could hear it too. That's true. Um, we have the mothers having passed when they're younger, when the kids are younger. Um, they're both being bullied. Um, they really are lonely kids. I I guess they I can't say that Craig can't rely on adults because his dad's really a great guy that he can rely on, and he could rely on Mister <laughs> Harrigan to do whatever he asked him to do, I guess. So that wasn't necessarily yep, and, a parallel. Yeah, and they were, I mean, they were both kind of period pieces. One with the actual setting and the other one with the feel. Yeah. Unless you want to consider, you know, like the late aughts a period piece these days, which, you know, it's 2022. We are getting further away from it, but... Don't, don't say that. I'm already... I, it's 11.15, and I feel like I should have gone to bed an hour ago. I know. I know that I'm getting older. You don't need to tell me. But uh, great movies and great connections. I would definitely recommend th this. Um, the Black Phone is, uh, if you want to watch a scary movie with a group, it's great. It is a great show to watch with a group of people, especially teenagers. It really hits. And my kids went and saw it without me because I had to do something and I couldn't go with them. I was, mad. I was upset at them because, I mean, I was so excited about this. And I ended up watching it later, but every, so about every two days, one of my kids would text me, have you seen Black Phone yet? I'm like, shut up. No, I haven't. I want to. <laughs> but uh, I finally did get to see it, and it's one I can see re-watching quite a bit. It's, it was a favorite. Yep. Well, speaking of parallels, since you mentioned It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia earlier, I have to say, Black Phone really missed a golden opportunity to cast Charlie Day as the Grabber's brother. Because with that oh, whole, yeah. like, crazy conspiracy theory, <laughs> you know, like, corkboard, <laughs> red string, that was the Pepe Sylvia meme the whole way. I'm like, ah, oh, man, casting opportunity missed. And I think the, the actor they, they did cast in it, it, he was in Sinister as a cop character and i don't think he had a happy ending in that one either but that was pretty brutal ending to his character i mean in in black phone wasn't it an axe yes he got an axe to the head it was pretty well done i remember going Ick. but i loved it i gotta say great show and say oh i i jumped at that one i you know i just i wasn't expecting it i didn't think he'd kill his brother his brother was his alibi <laughs> like well, I think you need to throw some Joe Hill books on your Audible if you don't already have them. I think I have all of them, so maybe we can do a deal and uh, you can check them out. Because I think you'll like if you liked this, you'll like. He he writes a little bit more on the fantasy side sometimes, but so does Stephen King. I, um, right now, I'm reading Stephen King's um, Fairy Tale. It's his newest book out with my nephew who's never read a Stephen King book we're listening to it um, just when we go to work two times a week so it's taken forever compared to how I usually listen to a book but I thought it was interesting in in this new book we're reading um, it's about a kid who takes care of an older guy and ends up being left um, basically a fortune and so it's really really similar to Mr. Harrigan's phone that came out not too long ago. So maybe you hit a certain age as a writer and you just think about, I, I guess maybe Stephen King wants to give some of his money to a young person and I could be that young person if he wanted to. I mean, yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> anyway. You know, I would just love to be a fly on the wall at that Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe that's what my fantasy book is going to be. It's going to be me, Jeff Goldblum in it, turning into the fly, and then going and hanging out on the wall for the Stephen King, Joe Hill Thanksgiving family dinner. 
Well, and uh, Owen, his other son, you know, they wrote, Stephen King and Owen wrote a book together called Sleeping Beauties, which was had horror aspects, fantasy aspects. It was, it was a pretty good book. So, I mean, this family needs to just quit it. But I'm glad that they haven't quit it because although nobody's going to replace Stephen King, it is nice to know that Joe Hill's out there. Hopefully, maybe he'll. Well, maybe maybe out Stephen King can give you a. I was gonna say maybe he'll give you a call on an iPhone. You know, you never know. <laughs> and that's a wrap for tonight's episode of The Dark Art. Thanks for paying us a call to listen to tales of telephone connections with worlds beyond our own. We sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day. Until next time, friends. <laughs>